All right, guys, before we start today's episode, I have to talk about something really serious. This this show this week is based on true events. So if you do find it too scary at any point, it's because it's based on true events. And these are real events that we're talking about, so they should scare you. Welcome to Fear Frequency, everybody. I'm your host, Jimmy Champagne, and this is episode 23. With me today is George Frizzard. Wet. I just did that so out of order. <laughs> oh, my God. All right. What's up, dude? oh man what's going on man oh nothing i just had to you know just listen back to my really creepy ominous intro to the show gotta make sure it's tight you know keep it to a tight like eight seconds yeah you know episodes based on true events you gotta let people know that they might be scared yeah i mean horror movies do exist and we do review horror movies so it is true events wait shut up dude there's a fucking halloween alert i thought you know we'd be done with them after last week but we got a small one from Halloween Daily News, the trusted source for Halloween News Daily. They have an interview with Sean Clark, who I guess is like the agent for someone. I don't know. But he's the guy who decided that Nick Castle should be Michael Myers again. So it's a really long interview. It's broken up into two parts. It's actually pretty interesting. I read about half of it, but uh, it kind of details how Nick Castle was brought back to Halloween. And it's kind of weird that... You know, this wasn't something that was planned by Blumhouse. That's the whole point of it that I think we should talk about. Uh, you'd think, like, they'd be on top of it. Be like, hey, wouldn't it be sweet if we brought back Nick Castle? Would that, wouldn't that be awesome? Uh, because this is taking place 40 years later. But no, it just turns out that it was by total happenstance. Yeah, you'd think that <laughs> who was playing Michael Myers would kind of be under the <laughs> the production company's creative control and not just this guy, <laughs> Sean <Yeah>. Clark, but... <laughs> I mean, it's it's cool. I mean, it's cool that he had a say in something that's that critical to the movie. Yeah. So, that's our quick Halloween alert. You should go check that out, though. It's at HalloweenDailyNews.com, our number one trusted source for Halloween news daily. I just invented a tagline for them. They should pay us. Yeah, just like Amazon. Did I, did I scare you with the Halloween alert? A little bit, but I'm always... You knew it was coming. Yeah, I mean, I gotta expect him at this point, right? Yeah, so before we get into the news, we've got a great show this week. Uh, we've got some cool stuff lined up, but I want to point everyone over to our Instagram account again because it's growing fast. We post stuff every day, and we just posted the intro to Halloween 4. It's a big hit. People are loving it. So if you want to not feel left out of this amazing community we've built single-handedly, go check out the Instagram. It's at Fear Frequency. Uh, but yeah, I think that's all the housekeeping I have. Oh wait, we have a, we have a new five star review, don't we? Okay, so we do have a new five star review this week from Dustin Perotti. It's five stars, and the title is "A House of Learned Horror Experts." He said, "New listener, but fell in love right away. They consolidate all the good horror news and deliver it with style. These guys are a blast to listen to, and def worth a five star review." Uh, Dustin is also the host of the Final Boys. Final guys final guys i fucked that up because one of our title ideas for this show was the final boys <laughs> that's that's already a podcast and then these guys the final guys they started uh recently they're on episode nine of their show and it's really good um i listened to it i don't know oh they mentioned us in a follow friday tweet last week and i thought that was really nice so i decided to listen to their show you know as i do to make sure they weren't racists or homophobes <laughs> I listened to an episode of the show, and then I left a review on their podcast. And their show is 
different than ours. They, uh, the episode I listened to that I really liked was about a haunting in Connecticut. They talked about the real story of that movie, and then they talked about why they hated the movie. So they're on brand with us in the way that they hated the movie. <laughs> uh, yeah, but th- that is kind of a fun podcast idea. It's a little different than ours. It's not, you know, up-to-date horror reviews all the time. It's kind of backstory and mixing it in horror and, you know, fiction and truth, which is a cool, a cool concept and definitely a good show that I recommend everyone who listens to us should check out. Yeah, it's different than ours, so, like, we can promote it. Uh, we're never going to promote anyone's podcast if it's the same as ours, so. <laughs> Thanks, Dustin. So, don't even try it. Yeah, keep being different, Dustin. <laughs> we love your show. <laughs> Next, all right, so now let's get into the news here that the housekeeping's out of the way. We got some big, big Stranger Things Season 3 news. So, at PaleyFest, there was a panel. And producer of the show, Sean Levy, revealed some new Season 3 details. Uh, and it will be set during the summer of 1985. The best year ever, I think. I don't know. I wasn't alive. so <laughs> Neither of us were alive. Yeah, if, if we're wrong on that, correct us. Uh, so the big quotes here are, Mike and Eleven are going to be going strong. So that's a relationship that continues. And same with Mad Max and Lucas. But again, they're like 13 or 14-year-old kids. So what does romance mean at that stage of life? It can never be simple and stable relationships, and there's fun to that instability. And on the subject of Steve Harrington, we'll definitely get to see some more of Steve Harrington in Season 3. I'll just say we won't be abandoning the Dad Steve magic. I don't want to say much more, but I literally feel we were walking along and we stumbled onto a gold mine with Dad Steve. Finally... In a different interview with Variety, he said, We did see at the end of episode 9 that the shadow monster is still working in the upside down. And he is determined to find a way to achieve his goals. The demo dogs didn't get it done in season... Get it done in season... What? Didn't the get demo it done dogs, in season 3. <laughs> yeah, but that's stupid. The demo dogs didn't get it done in season 3, so he's going to need... He's going to have some new strategies. They had a typo. They yeah, season, season 2. two. Yeah. Why would they do that to me? I already can't read. <laughs> so yeah, that's some pretty cool, some cool news. Uh, I mean, hopefully they're like still in a relationship at the beginning because that was the end of the second season. Yeah, so that's good. I mean, the only relationship that really matters is Dustin and Steve's father-son yeah, relationship. I agree. So, you know, like if there was a big time jump, uh, that'd be bad because that would mean like Dustin would have more time to mature, but. If this takes place in the summer of 1985, that's not that long after the second season ended. So, like, you know, still got some maturing to do. And good old daddy old Steve is going to be there. I saw some fan speculation saying that uh, people are expecting Steve might join Hooper as, like, his new, like, rookie on the force. Instead of going to college, joins, like, the police academy and starts hanging out with Hooper. That'd be kind of cliche. Yeah. But it'd be, be like a reason like for him to stick around bit. the town. Oh, yeah, because are they seniors? Yeah, I mean, he's a senior because he's a year older than mm. Nancy. So he's like, because that's like one of the big conflict points in early season two when Steve is yeah, like, right, right, right. He's like, I'm going to graduate and I hope you stick around for me. And she's like, oh, I forgot bye. he's stupid. Oh, uh, I forgot he was stupid. I thought he was like the smart job. No, no, he's, he's like dumb. bad. He's well, bad he's not at dumb. School. He's just not good at school. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, actually, it'd be cliche if he be, if he stuck around and became the cop, but I I'd be fine with it. Just an, that's an easy way to keep him in town, which I feel like is more important than like 
coming up with some convoluted way to keep him there. Like, they have the opportunity, so. Yeah, I mean, he doesn't obviously have to do that. He can also just kind of stick in the town and do other things that don't really require a college degree or anything higher than a high school education, but that's kind of a, I guess, a pairing of characters we haven't really seen too much of that might might bring out some interesting yeah, that would development. Be cool. Huh, I'd like that. Uh, and the comment about the shadow monster, that makes sense to me. Obviously, that thing is still a villain because you, at the end of season two, spoiler, sorry, you see it. So, like, you know, that's that's cool. Yeah. Nothing, nothing crazy, just a lot of info. Yeah, I kind of hope that his whatever new strategy or new help he brings in is pretty different to the demo dog because I think we've kind of seen that to death now with the demigorgons in season one and the demo dogs in season two and then the giant monster and then the season two i think it'd be nice to see a little bit more creature variety instead of just the monsters that have like the you know piranha yeah. plant face i didn't really like the demo dogs honestly i thought they looked kind of like shit the cgi wise so i'd be fine if we got something different too yeah i i, I wasn't crazy about it i wasn't very against it but i think that there's definitely a cooler thing you can do visually than the demo dogs or just another shadow monster or something like that i think if they can delve a little bit deeper imaginatively into the shadow realm and bring out something new it might be a better choice than to stick with the same kind of character design we've seen for the last two seasons they should hire the guys who did the effects on the void to do the effects on this show so we don't have to stare at cgi dog shit or the ritual yeah or the ritual that'd be great you know, like, there's people out there. Netflix owns the ritual. They probably have the connections. Like, I don't know. I just... Some people like to argue that CGI is not inherently bad. And while I kind of agree with that in most movies, in horror, the budget is never really high enough to make sure that the CGI looks very good for the most part. So, I don't know. I think for season three, I'd like to see them go practical. Yeah, but I don't think they will because they don't have any reason to since everyone on Earth watches this show. Right, you'd think because this is such a popular show, they'd either get the full budget big enough to have very professionally done CGI or, you know, have the budget to be able to do something practical if they want to do something that looks better. So I don't really see why they would constrain the budget on just the CGI, but I don't know. I hope- well, I'm sure, that, I'm sure the CGI is expensive. It's just that... The people doing it aren't doing a good job. Like they're doing an okay job, but that it could neither... be done better. Basically, yeah, for a show that everybody watches, well. it should be done better. Like that's it's bad enough to where I'm noticing it now, which means in like five or ten years, it's gonna look really bad. Yeah. So so that's kind of a minor gripe. I think that everything about the show still works with the CGI not being yeah like movie quality, but I would just We're prefer. Not... At this so, point, we're not watching it for the monsters. We're watching yeah, it for the characters. But exactly. I'd like season three to be one where we start watching it for the monsters. Because they've said before the show's going to have five seasons. So right now, right about now is where they need to really start picking up and introducing like a villain that actually has some staying power. Because I don't think the visual style of the Demogorgon has enough staying power to last even three seasons. Yeah. Let alone five. Yeah, I'm like already sick of how that thing looks. Like They need to get fucking rolling on that <laughs> like think of something cool you know yeah <laughs> so uh yeah that's the stranger things news we got for you this week 
Now the next one I'm really excited about, I think we talked about Under the Silver Lake last week, but the trailer just dropped and it looks awesome. And for those of you who don't know, Under the Silver Lake is the follow-up from the guy David Robert Mitchell who directed It Follows. And it stars uh, Andrew Garfield and Topher Grace and Riley Keough. And it looks like it could not be any more different from It Follows, which is awesome. Yeah, I'm not sensing a big horror vibe from this movie at all. It looks like it's kind of a code-breaking movie almost with Andrew Garfield. And very tied in with music and lyrics and that whole, you know, music being a main pivotal part of the plot. Kind of similar to, I don't know, maybe like a Baby Driver or something that came out last year. Uh, Yeah. And I'm excited. I'm really looking forward to this just from just seeing the trailer. It looks so good, and Disaster Piece is back. Cinematography in the trailer is fucking incredible. Topher Grace isn't shown in the trailer, so I'm curious as to who he'll play. And there's an old man in the trailer who's giving me some, like, very serious Starry Eyes vibes. You know, like, this movie feels like, if not a spiritual successor, uh, it feels like it could exist in the same universe as Starry Eyes, which is an awesome fucking movie. Yeah, big fan of Starry Eyes. Um, and I could I could see a little bit of extra, maybe kind of cult or supernatural influences into some of the characters from just the little bit we see in the trailer. So I think it'd be cool to have maybe a little bit of that twist in it, and not have it all be, you know, on the up and up. Yeah, and I feel like Andrew Garfield is the right kind of weird for this. You know, like he's quirky and he talks fast and he, he's like jittery and he's like his he he has that look down where he's always moving a hundred miles a minute. You know. Yeah. And I, I really like him. I think that the the Spider-Man movies get a lot more uh, negative reviews than I think they deserve. I think that those are both amazing. Spider-Man 1 and 2 are both fine movies. So, And I didn't really have an issue yeah, with the way he performed fine. Peter Parker or Spider-Man. So I think he kind of gets a bad rep and deserves to kind of have a, another chance to shine. And I think this movie looks like the perfect kind of platform for that. He's really good in um, The Social Network. Yeah, he is really good in that movie. and it's awesome. Uh, and he's I, in Silence. I, I heard Hacksaw Ridge was pretty good. I oh, Hacksaw was, Ridge, not Silence. Uh, main character in that. Uh, yeah. I didn't see that one, but I heard he was pretty good in that one too. So I just think he's a good actor, and I'm, I'm excited to see that he's still getting roles. Yeah, me too. So I'm really stoked for this movie. It comes out in June, right around the same time as uh, Hereditary, which is a bold, bold move. Yeah, but... you'd think A24 wouldn't want to pit like these two movies against each other like that. But yeah, whatever. I mean, I'm going to see both. Yeah. So um, that's the news we have for Under the Silver Lake. I am stoked for that movie. Yeah, me too. But yeah. Speaking of movies that we like, Piwacket is officially out this week. Uh, it came out actually last week on March 23rd. It's on video on demand services and in select theaters through IFC Midnight. Now, I watched this movie originally, like, I think a couple weeks after we started the show. Uh, because it premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival. And it's from Adam McDonald, who directed Backcountry. And he's a director that I don't think gets nearly enough credit. He just, he's an awesome director. He's a great guy. Uh, so I'm really excited that this movie is out, and we'll both be reviewing it next week. But I think the reason that it does really well is because it's set in Canada, but it's filmed in Sault Ste. Marie, which is really close to Michigan. And it has a really good you know Midwestern vibe. Yeah, I think that's something that isn't really represented enough in horror movies or movies in general, where normally when we see a movie, it's either set in, you know, one of the big cities like New York, LA, Chicago. And it's cool to have 
a more Midwestern vibe, kind of like an area that we grew up in. You know, it's kind of more near and dear to our hearts in that way. Yeah, and especially for like a Canadian director, this guy captured the spirit of being scared out in the woods better than movies that are like made to make you feel that way usually do. And I don't know, this movie has some great actors in it. Great costume design. I just want to point out, like, the girl's a punk, and unlike The Strangers, Pray at Night, <laughs> where the girl lives in 2008, and she's 12 years old, and she's wearing a Ramon shirt, which is fucking stupid. In this movie, the main girl is dressed like a fucking normal person. She's wearing, like, a denim jacket, some cool boots, and she has a him patch on her uh, backpack. I thought that was awesome. <laughs> yeah, him's a little bit of a deep cut. <laughs> Yeah, but it's like, I feel like in high school, him is a kind of band that you seek out and put the pit, like the patch on your backpack to look cool, even though you don't understand and or like their music. Yeah, you know? totally. That completely fits with that style, 100%. I saw many a goth kid throughout middle school and high school putting him patches on their on their clothes or their backpacks. Yeah, and I, I feel like if I saw a kid in middle school wearing a Ramon shirt, I'd laugh at him. Yeah, so. definitely. Yeah, so, in summation, The Strangers Pray at Night is terrible. Uh, so, there's this, this one's bizarre, dude. So, this is going to get weird because neither of us have seen Chopping Mall, but I know what it is. Uh, I don't know why I've never seen it. But, basically, Chopping Mall is this movie from the 80s where, like, robots take over a mall, and it's a slasher movie. And uh, this is just... It's crazy. So, there's this guy... Uh, who, who's named Rob Hall. And he plans on remaking Chopping Mall without the killer robots. And uh, he thinks robots are silly so that his script centers on mannequins that are possessed by the souls of dead slaves. Because that that's were not silly. <laughs> but yeah, they were buried <laughs> under, the, uh, under the ground on the, the ground that the mall is built on. And he says it's more the fog set in an abandoned mall than it is robots. And can you think of another movie that's inspired by The Fog that's really bad, George? Can <laughs> is you? It, oh. is, it, is it a movie that rips off that soundtrack completely entitled The Strangers Pray at Night? Oh, it is! The Strangers <laughs> Pray at Night. Another terrible movie, huh? Wow. <laughs> Anyways, uh, this Chopping Mall remake was never going to happen, so I don't know why it was written about. <laughs> So basically, this guy uh, who said he's remaking the Chopping Mall movie, uh, he, someone wrote an article, horror fans. They post an article from ScreenGeek.net that's saying that fans have a problem with the big changes in the remake of Chopping Mall that isn't happening. And then the guy who directed the original <laughs> Chopping Mall, Jim Wynorski, went on his own Facebook and said, this guy doesn't even have the rights locked down. I own 20%. He's never even bothered to contact me. Lionsgate, who recently released the Blu-ray, has never been contacted either. And they bought the home video rights from Vestron. And Hall has been announcing this remake for almost a decade. He's just trying to capitalize on my title. <laughs> what I don't get this is... This is fucking crazy. Why are people offended about a remake of a movie that is not going to be made? I don't understand. There's like a disconnect there. Why are you mad about someone's basically fan fiction story about <laughs> Chopping Mall remake? 
And I have, a, I have a direct quote here, a couple of them. So this guy says, my version of Chopping Mall that I wrote is totally supernatural. It's more the fog set in an abandoned mall than it is robots. Instead of killer robots, they are these mannequins that are possessed by the souls of the dead slaves that worked at the plantation that the mall was built over. So he's going with a vaguely racist route. <laughs> um, and then people got upset mostly because they're changing it but secondarily because it's racist and he said sorry guys dot 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 purists i have a different take which roger corman really really liked do need to get that underway like okay what a fucking idiot and then uh so people were saying there's so many movies where there's spirits of dead slaves and he goes cool there have been many movies with guys in masks with knives too and then uh he, he also responded to someone and said, no, the filmmakers don't care what nobody fans think, so just go whack off to kill bots. The lot of you purists are better yet make your own damn films and shut the fuck up. <laughs> like, this guy's crazy, man. <laughs> what I don't get is, why does he just call it something else? Why does he just make it a different movie? Because it doesn't sound like it's the, a remake of, <laughs> of Chopping Mall at all. It sounds like it's a different story about a bunch of haunted... Native American mannequins. Why don't we call it anything else? Just make it a different movie. Why does it have to be a Chopping Mall remake? Do you think they're Native American slaves or, like, African American slaves? I don't I mean, know. It's, it's racist like, either way. But I like, feel like a burial ground is typically a Native American thing. So he's, like, he says the fog, but, like, really he's going for poltergeist, but it's a mall instead of a house? Yeah, I mean, it's Dawn of the Dead? Why do you need the Chopping Mall name? Like you just said, like, it, it, Children of the Corn and Hellraiser don't sell movies based on their names. And Chopping Mall is niche enough to where we haven't even seen it. And we watched an 80s movie every day of the summer in high school. You know, like, what is that name going to do for you in this movie you're not making? Like, I don't understand at all what the point is of make, putting that name on there. You could just... Just call it a different movie. Just call it something else. It's it's already in a completely different idea from the original. The only, from what I can tell, the only thing that remains the same between the two is that they both take place in a mall, which is not a hundred percent an original idea. Other movies have taken place in a mall. It's like a movie based on true events. It's it's happened. Oh, I was before. just gonna make that joke. <laughs> just shit. just call it something else. Fuck just, you. Let's <laughs> <laughs> call it like, uh. Oh, man. What would be a decent title for this? Call it, like... Racism in America. Racism of America. Call it, like... Dead Lakes... Seven. Dead Lakes Crossing. Call it... The Ghost of Yankee Jim. The Ghost of Yankee Jim. Just call it anything. It doesn't matter. It doesn't need to be a Chopping Mall remake. And he doesn't have the rights to the movie anyway. So why even stir up this controversy about something that you know you have no say in? I think it's okay that we're talking about it because it's over and, like, it is insane, the story. But I think it's pretty dumb that anyone wrote this up in the first place. Honestly. Like, wh why? Why wh why give this guy press? Like, he's obviously a fucking idiot who has no idea what he was doing. He's He sounds like Yui Bull. He so does. Yui Bull's he doing? does sound a lot like Yui Bull. You know what Yui Bull's doing right now? He's starting, like, a Twitter campaign against with like you know like a change.org petition against uh warner brothers i think because they're making rampage but he's made like three rampage movies and so he's like 
been advertising his three Rampage movies, and he's been telling people to start with the second one because the first one's bad. Like, he's readily admitting that his fr- the first movie in his trilogy is bad. Like, that's just embarrassing. Like, how are you not embarrassed? Like, even... Even though people didn't do their due diligence and ended up writing this up anyway, I'd be embarrassed to have to be written up for something like this. It's just like, it's ruining your goddamn name, you know? Yeah, it's a super weird story about drama, about a remake that's not even going to happen, so I don't get, I don't really get it, but... And you know what? If he wasn't a fucking dipshit about it, he probably could have directed the remake because... Or his own Lion- movie! Or, or his it's own movie! a different he- thing! Dude, it's they let this guy who did the makeup on Hellraiser direct a Hellraiser movie that's direct to DVD. I guarantee you whatever remake of Chopping Mall this is would not end up in theaters. And that if Lionsgate or whoever wants to keep the fucking rights, they probably have to make a movie. So all he would have had to do is keep his sanity in check for about 20 minutes so he can go into Lionsgate and prove that he's not insane. And then he could probably make a like pretty shitty direct to DVD movie and take credit for his garbage. Yeah, but... He went around it the wrong way, and this remake will never be made by him. So, hopefully the next guy who picks it up remains true to the source material, I guess. Or he could just let it go. Or he could just let it go. Like, can we just be done with these fucking remakes? Seriously? Like, the only one I like, the only two I can think of that I like are Friday the 13th, 2009, and Evil Dead. Like, that's it. Stop. Like, stop fucking making them. And stop with this shit. Oh, it's inspired by the fog. Okay, it doesn't... You don't need to state when your movie is inspired by a John Carpenter movie because it's almost a fucking guarantee that if you're making a horror movie, it's going to be inspired by John Carpenter in some way. And when you point it out, people are going to start looking for it. You know, they're going to start looking for it and they're going to criticize you if you don't do it right. Right. And if your movie turns out shitty, which this almost guaranteed will turn out shitty when it doesn't happen, it's... It's just, it, it makes people even more critical of your movie to begin with. Yeah, it's and, like, people are walking stupid. in with a microscope expecting things that are similar to this classic by a horror master, one of the masters of, you know, best directors ever to live, and it's like... You, like yeah, like, I, oh my god, you know I'm fucking walking in 48 meters down with my microscope. <laughs> I'm like, what fucking John Carpenter movie are you going to steal from this time, Johannes Roberts? Like, yeah. what? What? <laughs> It's just stupid. The whole thing's fucking dumb. Yeah. Let so, Chopping Mall... You know chopping what? Mall. <laughs> Give Arrow Video the rights to put out Chopping Mall on like a really nice Blu-ray so people can buy it and enjoy it. And everyone will be happy. And this guy can go like summon Piwacket to kill him or something. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> or something. Whatever his true motivations are. Yeah. So moving on, I was going to delete this story, but... You like George R. R. Martin, so I'll let you handle this one. Yeah, so an adaptation of a George R. R. Martin story called Night Flyers is being adapted for sci-fi, and it was described by Martin himself as psycho in space. Hmm. See, that's the part I don't like, because the trailer's really good. It looks awesome. It's really bloody. The cover of the book is fucking so cool. It's like they're flying into a star system that's shaped like a skull. That is sick. I like that. <laughs> Trailer's good. Show kind of has had a bit of drama behind the scenes, you know, like of people leaving, like the star left and stuff like that. But, you know, it looks cool and sci-fi traditionally makes good stuff lately. So, uh, I don't know. I think it look, I think it's exciting. I'm going to yeah. watch it. 
I mean, I think, obviously, I'm a big Game of Thrones fan, so I think Martin can write good source material that can be adapted well. So yeah. I haven't read the original, you know, Night Flyers written by him or anything, but I feel like this is probably a strong enough idea to kind of build a good show around. It seems like uh, like isolated kind of horror sci-fi elements where all these people are trapped on a ship and you kind of are always questioning what's coming next. And I, I think that kind of storyline works well for a, a series like this, even if it's only like a, you know, like a 10 part series or something. Did you watch the trailer? Yeah, I watched the trailer. The gore in it is in- insane. It's like, yeah. there's like chunks of s- flesh. Yeah, I've never seen that in a movie or TV show, really. Yeah, they're not shying away from the gore at all, especially for a sci-fi show. It's kind of shocking since this is kind God, of, yeah, you know, it's really not, cool. not a really premium channel in any way. It's not like HBO or Showtime or anything like that where they have, you know, less restrictions on what they can do. So it looks like they're really pushing the envelope with this, trying to get as much out of it as they possibly can. It so, looks like someone got cut up with a weed whacker. Like, honestly, it's pretty gross. It's cool. Yeah. So, I mean, I hope it's good. I... <laughs> There is kind of a lot of controversy or turmoil around the set and people leaving and things changing. So uh, ho- hopefully we can get a good movie regardless of all this t- you know, turmoil or uncertainty about the show before you know, while filming. But I- I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to try to stay positive on it. Yeah, and it, there's a bigger thing with this where sci-fi is smart uh, because... They're trying to have more than one horror show going on at once, which is going to cause people to like stick around more that like horror things, I think. So even if it's not great, it's just good to see them investing more into horror stuff. I yeah, think that's cool. I, I agree with that completely. I think the more quality horror TV shows we get, the better. Yeah. So speaking of turmoil on set, uh, The Predator from Shane Black, which comes out later this year after being delayed multiple times has gone back for some reshoots, but a teaser is coming soon, so I'm sure we're all excited for that. What do you think of this? Are you excited for this Predator movie? Mm, not particularly. <laughs> I mean, I don't really think the original one is old enough yet for a remake. I think it still holds up, since it was okay. like uh, kind of a classic 80s action movie. I think there are probably some things you can do with current technology that they couldn't do then that might look better, but I don't know. I don't feel like this series is old enough for a a reboot or remake yet. I think it needs more years to kind of sit on the shelf and get a a more fresh perspective before we come back to it. Yeah, they got uh, Jake Busey, who's Gary Busey's son, I think. He's coming back to play... The son of Gary Busey's Predator 2 character. Eh? What a great get. I'm sure he wasn't on the sofa of Gary Busey's house, like, <laughs> eating a bunch of potato chips or something. Like, would you find him in a dumpster outside behind the set of the show? <laughs> like, I'm sure he wasn't that big of a get. You, like, justified. Boyd Holbrook is in it. Oh, he is really good. I like him. Olivia Munn's in it. She's okay. Yeah. I don't care. Trevante Rhodes is in it. uh, Yeah, I mean, the cast is kind of hit or miss. I don't know. I I think I'd be more excited if I saw, like, a more prolific director or team taking it on. Like, if it was, like, a James Wan project or something, I think I'd be more excited. But I don't know. I think everything about it just kind of feels 
like thrown together and not really <laughs> thought out completely. So, I mean, I want it to be good, but I'm just not seeing it from these early details. So this time it's going to be in a suburban setting. Uh, it comes out September 14th, and I have a plot synopsis here. So there's an ancient Indian burial ground. Uh, oh, fucking God. Is in a, a suburban setting. Guess. It's on top of a mall. And the, the government builds a bunker on top of it, and they keep mannequins inside, and they all get possessed <laughs> by predators. Oh, and it's inspired by the fog. So, yeah, I'm definitely going to go see this September 14th. Uh, <laughs> they should just yeah. really mush those two movies together. That's something I would. Oh, it's see. inspired by true events. Oh, by true events. There you go. Real predators. There has been a mall with a predator in it before. <laughs> None of that was true for, uh, <laughs> for, for those looking for a hot take on the predator remake. But I don't know. Like I said, I'm not super excited about it. What do you think? I don't know. I like the third one. The one they did a few years ago. I think Topher Grace was in that too. I didn't like the plot twist because it was really stupid. But, you know, the effects were really good. The idea of a bunch of criminals getting, like, teleported to a predator planet and hunted. That's pretty dope. I'm fine with that. Um, In all honesty, like, I think Primal Rage is a better follow-up to Predator than whatever this is going to be. Yeah, I guess I guess it depends on what kind of story they take it. If it is, if it's like trying to be the first Predator movie, I don't think it'll be, you know, as good as a classic. But if they try to do something different and just incorporate that character, it it might be cool. I don't know. I'm just I'm always advocating, except for like Halloween for new things. Yeah, you know, I have guilty pleasures like Halloween, because Halloween's great. But at the end of the day, I'd rather all this money and time and investment go into making something genuinely new like go find a new script for this new character like fund a movie like primal rage can you imagine how great primal rage would have been if it got the amount of money that they've thrown at the predator which is getting multiple reshoots you know yeah and then you get a new character with its own lore and you know the the guy i forgot his name patrick mcgee he could have got some help with writing some of the more mildly racist details <laughs> that movie uh you know like he could have got some backup on that but i don't know it's just horror reboots as we mentioned earlier traditionally just aren't good so i don't i just it's gonna be it's gonna be tough to really care until i see it you know yeah and i, I mean i'll probably go see it but I'm i'm really not expecting much from it you know that cartoon that never happened for alien uh that had kenner toys i'd love to see that (laughs) honestly like more than anything like the alien versus predator cartoon tv show that never happened where like the characters looked like video game characters and it was really cool and violent it just never came out that i'd pay for that over like a full-on movie yeah i'd watch like uh alien or predator animated series in the style of like uh the new castlevania show that aired on netflix last year i think that'd be cool yeah but, hey, I mean, we'll find out on September 14th, guys. Yep. If you're excited for this show, you should let us know on uh, Twitter or Instagram. We'd love to hear from people who are excited about it. Maybe that'll get us into the mood, but who knows? So, next up on here, we have a couple game news stories. One I wanted to highlight is that there's a new game from the developers of Oxenfree, which is, like, one of my favorite uh, 
point-and-click adventure games. It's called After Party, and the plot of it is there's two characters, a guy and a girl, and they're friends, and they get sent to hell, and their plan to get out of hell is to outdrink Satan. So there's a lot of stuff I connect with personally in this uh, <laughs> in this game. I think it'd be pretty cool to outdrink Satan. Yeah, I think that's a cool, really imaginative concept for a game, and. I feel like this is probably going to be kind of one of those short and sweet adventures, probably like a six mm-hmm. six hour max ordeal, but just very heavily story driven and visual driven. And from the trailer, it looks great. You never played Oxenfree, right? No, I never got around Oxenfree. Dude, you should pick that up on Switch. Yeah, is that out on Switch now? Yeah, it came out on Switch uh, around Halloween. They didn't announce it or anything. It was one of those where they just dumped it on there. I think it's like ten bucks. And then for anyone listening. You can get Oxenfree on anything. It's on iPad, iPhone, Android, computer, Xbox, PS4. Whatever you have, you can play it on. But I would recommend getting it on Switch if you have that option. But yeah. Yeah, I heard a lot of good things about that game when it came out. And even from you and from other reviewers and people saying that was one of the better indie games come out that year. So uh, maybe I'll I'll pick up my Switch again and and play that through before this comes out. It's the only... One of those, like, I call them walking sims, even though it's 2D. It's the only one where... So what happens usually is I see a really cool trailer, I get excited, I buy it when it comes out, and then I never really have the urge to play it. And then, like, one day, a couple years down the road, I have a weekend off, and I'm like, alright, I'm gonna sit down and play all these, like, walking sims. But Oxenfree and What Remains of Edith Finch are the only two that I bought, and then I sat down, and I beat in one sitting. I'm a big fan of What Remains of Edith Finch. Oh, yeah, you played that too. Yeah. That's a great game. I sat down and played that in one sitting also, and I thought that was such a cool, imaginative story and just extremely well told. And I think anybody who's a fan of kind of compartmentalized storytelling should play that game because it's really, it doesn't take any kind of skill to play. It'll probably run on most computers and, or if you have a game console, obviously it'll play on that. And I think that's just a really cool adventure story. It's really short. It's like an hour and a half, two hours. And I think that's really worth anybody's time. Yeah, so, and uh, speaking of Oxenfree, it hits a lot of the same emotional beats as What Remains of Edith Finch. It's about six hours long, and it has multiple endings and secrets and stuff, but uh, I I recommend playing through it at least once for anyone. Both of those games. They're both great. Yeah. So I'm going to pick up Oxenfree, and then I'm excited for After Party. Yeah, After Party, it comes out in 2019. I feel like they announced it a little early. That really, I hate that. I, I don't like I don't like when games get announced before there's a release date. I like yeah. how Bethesda does it. Yeah, but I think well, we have enough of a release schedule going out yeah, playing to kind of tide us over. We got Far Cry next week, and we got God of War next month, so we got some oh, stuff I to, also, to I found this through. game called Deadbolt. Have you heard of it? No. Okay, so it's like... Hey guys, we're on a tangent right now. <laughs> uh, so Deadbolt, it came out a while ago. It's from the people who made that game Risk of Rain. Have you heard of that? Yeah, I played a little so bit of that. It, yeah, it has the same art style as that, but it's like a 2D game where you play as death. And it's like this, uh, it's like Hotline Miami where it's like one shot, one kill, but you unlock weapons and stuff, and it's a stealth action shooter. It's really cool. Hmm. Is that on Switch also? Uh, no, it's only on computer. Uh, actually, it just came out on PS4 in February. Never mind. But oh. it's on it's on Vita. <laughs> it came out on Vita in February <laughs> of dust, this year. Have to dust that bad boy off. Yeah. Shit, man. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but I recommend that one for anyone, too. And if you want to hear more indie game 
uh, recommendations, let us know because we like we like talking about games, but uh, you know we don't know what you guys like. Yeah. So let us know. We try to keep it movie oriented just because we're not sure if we'll get a lot of backlash <laughs> or not. <laughs> uh, we have two more game stories though. First one being the Agony, which was supposed to come out March thirty first, got delayed to an unknown date and time. That sucks because that game looks pretty cool. We featured it on our Instagram before. And then, finally, I wanted to highlight something pretty cool. So, Dead by Daylight is the game that just won't die. It's crazy. I, I, I didn't know a lot of people still played it, but I guess uh, a lot of people do. So, they've been updating the game a lot to fix the behind-the-scenes stuff and just how generally the game plays. They added in a ton of movie characters, which, you know, me and George have made fun of because it just, it just doesn't really make sense. But this year, they are uh, committing to introducing three new original characters, and they all look really cool. Yeah, uh, so I think I think that's pretty fun. Yeah, I mean that is definitely cool to see that they're not just trying to keep. I know last time I played was when the Michael Myers DLC came out. We played a couple rounds. Yeah, and I kind of want to download this game again and see how much it's changed since then because that was two years ago. I yeah, think. and and it is cool. It's kind of cool to see like a slasher character, but obviously you put that in a game and it'll never live up to the hype of what you want out of the character, basically. So. I, I think having your own original character is kind of a good loophole around that where you can put in yeah. something that would have a similar feel to, uh, you know, a horror icon. But, you know, w- you won't make people disappointed to be like, oh, it doesn't have this, which I saw in this movie that came out 25 years ago. And it it does seem cool, though. And I'm excited to see that this game is still still kicking around because i i've had actually a, a fair bit of fun playing this one yeah and you know what did we ever talk i don't think we talked about it on the show but they introduced jigsaw as like a playable did killer. They really yeah <laughs> just really weird that's I, I don't <laughs> like know. how would that play <laughs> that seems like would you rather have jigsaw or the remake freddy because those are both in the game <laughs> i guess it, i guess it depends on what jigsaw can do can you like send out billy or what do you do? I don't do you know. You set man. traps? What do you do? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> oh man. I mean, I, I guess <laughs> Freddy because I know what he does. I know. <laughs> <laughs> then you know you don't want to play as him. Yeah, because what are you gonna do? Throw like a sleeping pill in some girl's mouth and put her to bed and jump in her dreams? Like I don't get it. <laughs> like, how does Freddy? Like he's a he's just like a guy in the real world. Like. They beat the shit out of him in multiple <laughs> movies. Like, people just fighting him. So I don't get Jig- it. Jigsaw dies in, like, the second movie. It's like, what is it? Just, like, a corpse that you roll around like uh, I Am Bread? You want to play an old-ass man walking around? <laughs> can, like, can you imagine, like, I Am Bread? Have you ever seen that? Like, really yeah. Bread? But it's just, like, this corpse of, like, Tobin Bell. And he's like, you want to play a game? I mean, imagine, like, the other characters <laughs> that came, like, the jock character. You see that old bitch running through the woods. You fucking clock that guy once, and he's out cold. <laughs> Yeah, he, like, pulls out a tape recorder for his dying breath, and it's like, do you want to play a game? Yeah, so he plays a tape recorder, and he's like, you're in this forest that I designed. You'll never leave. I trapped all the exits with... I spent 50 years growing every one of these trees. (laughs) One of them has the key out of the forest. You must climb to the top of the tallest tree. If you do not, all the trees will fall over. (laughs) Yeah, so, uh... Dead by Daylight's getting some <laughs> updates this year. Uh, and then finally, Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice is coming to Xbox One on April 11th. That's a great game. It came out on PC and PS4 a while ago. 
It, it's Xbox One X enhanced. You should play it. Yeah, I heard really good things about that game. The sound design being the main thing where yeah. you... It's one of those games that uh, recommends you wear headphones while playing it because you hear the voices of, like... It's kind of supposed to try to simulate, like, schizophrenia or voices in your head where oh, you, yeah, you'll hear things, game. like, moving around you. So this is one that I wanted to check out but didn't get to since last year was so packed with games. So uh, now that it's 1X enhanced, I'll probably pick it up for that. Yeah, there's, like, a full 4K mode, a 60 frames per second mode, and, like, a better effects mode. I'd play it in 4K. That game, like, that game could be... I feel like if that game is locked at 30 and in native 4K resolution, you're going to get a treat. Yeah, so I'm, I'll probably pick that up for sure. Yeah, and then before we move on to segment two, I wanted to do a creature feature this week. Uh, someone on the Instagram turned us on to Witching Season Films, and they have a YouTube channel where they post uh, short films that are all, I think, Halloween-related, and they compiled those into an anthology movie that is available for free on Amazon Prime. And the reason that I like them so much is that the intro to that anthology is like a modern reimagining of the intro to Halloween 4, which is so cool. Like, it, it looks great. Uh, they sold a DVD or a Blu-ray copy of their, um, you know, their anthology movie so that they could fund a feature film that they're working on now. But I think everything these guys are doing is really cool and it's all available for free. So there's really no reason not to check it out. Yeah, I think that this intro movie that's on their YouTube page is awesome. I immediately puts me right into the Halloween spirit. And if this is even like a tenth as if the rest of the movie is like a tenth as good as this, then it'll, it's pretty damn decent because this intro is amazing. Yeah, and I we both love anthology movies, so uh, I'm gonna check that out tonight if, while I'm editing the show. I think I watched one of the shorts; it was really good. Yeah, I'm also going to check this one out for sure. Yeah, so uh, we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back with our review of Unsane. All right, so we're back from our quick break. We got a longer episode for you guys this week. Uh, we hope you are on board with that. But this week we're reviewing Unsane, which is the new movie from Steven Soderbergh, and it stars Claire Foy as a girl named Sawyer, and uh, Jay Farrow is also in it. And the, the gimmick of this movie is that it was shot entirely on an iPhone 7 Plus with three moment lenses and Filmic Pro, which is a $15 app. And it's really fucking good. It's a good movie. Yeah, I was very excited to see this when I saw the trailer before Winchester, and I'm glad that my expectations were met when I saw it in theaters. Alright, so, basic plot synopsis is Sawyer is, uh, she moves from Boston, Massachusetts to Pennsylvania to take on a new job to escape a stalker, but she keeps seeing him everywhere, she's feeling depressed, so she goes to um, a mental hospital and talks to a therapist there and involuntarily commits herself to the mental hospital for 24 hours. And the trailer wants you to think that this is like a psychological horror where you don't know what's going on. But it's pretty straightforward and I actually appreciated it for that. It, it, the plot is really good and believable. Yeah, I, I like where the story goes. I, I do agree with you that the trailer is kind of misleading where it makes you think that... Like even on the poster, it's like... 
is she sane or is she not? But once you actually start watching the movie, there's really no point ever where it feels like she is actually insane. It like it's just following her struggles through, you know, being in a mental hospital when you're a normal yeah. sane person. And I mean, other than the trailer being misleading, it's just a really good story overall. And I think that it she uh, Sawyer is great throughout. Completely oh God, steals dude. every single scene she's in and is. You can't take her eyes off her every time she's in the every time she's on screen. It's ridiculous. She's great. She's fucking great. And I did not know. So for those who don't know, Claire Foy is in the show called The Crown, and she's actually British. Her Boston accent is so good that I just was like, oh, they found this like lady from Boston, and she's amazing. It's crazy. I don't know how she's that good at acting. Yeah, she's insanely good. Completely steals the show. Uh, I thought she was far and away the most interesting best part of the movie i do really like the plot though and the uh the psychotic uh, you know stalker guy was also pretty good did you know that's a guy from the blair witch project which one of the three who uh i forgot from the original yeah from the original one oh yeah yeah i did i did actually know about that yeah isn't that crazy he's really good he's really creepy what's his what's his name that's the one name I forgot. Uh, I, I, George usually writes down all the names for me, and him I guess, uh, in this in the doc. But I chal- I, I accepted the challenge this week <laughs> of not needing that, and now I need it. His name's Joshua Leonard. He's from the Blair Witch Project, and he he does a great job at being one creepy dude. Yeah, uh, he's definitely uh, <laughs> mentally disturbed, and. That comes out in multiple ways throughout the movie, whether he's trying to be, like, controlling Stalker or he's kind of, like, submissive to Sawyer. And I thought that, you know, no matter how he was playing the character, he did a really fantastic job. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jay Thero from SNL, he he's funny. He's a great actor. He does an awesome job with his lines. Uh, no complaints there. The only performance that I didn't like is Sawyer's mom. She... Her dialogue felt improvised, and it went on too long. Like, there was always a couple extra words at the end of every sentence she said that, like, felt unnecessary, like they didn't need to be there. The lady's like, I think there's, like, there's a line about doing her laundry that's so forced and awkward that doesn't make any sense. And uh, she's talking to a lawyer in the car at one point, and there's this whole thing, like, the lawyer hangs up on her, and she's like, did you just hang up on me? Like, that part was like, okay. You need yeah. acting lessons. Yeah, she's, her role is kind of strange because, I mean, it doesn't really, like, lead to anything, and it, like, her scenes are just kind of the weaker parts of the movie Yeah, in general. I'm glad she calls her mom, though, because it was getting to a point in the plot where I was like, look, if I was in this fucking situation, I would call my mom, like, yeah. or my dad, you know? Or, yeah, like, some, some sort of friend or family member that would come to your aid and try to help you out whenever yeah. they could. Yeah, and then in the next scene, it happens. So this movie accounts for everything. And, I mean, let's talk about the gimmick here on the iPhone. I, I think it kind of added to this movie in a lot of ways. Like, I think it looked really good. Like, it didn't look like a theatrical movie, I would say. Uh, the performances definitely carried it in the script and the locations, but it it gave it this, like, voyeuristic, claustrophobic feel that kind of just creeped me out a little bit. Uh, I, I do agree. I like the iPhone parts. I think that the, especially the fisheye lens attachment, when they do scenes of kind of supposed to be perspective of the stalker in the bushes or 
kind of peering at her from a distance, those do a, a really good job of kind of putting you in his headspace or his perspective in a way that I think would have kind of been harder to accomplish with the traditional medium of using a full-size camera. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I will say that when they're outside in the courtyard, the sky is blown out completely. That looked bad. And also there's a couple parts in the forest. Yeah, it's not the best in low be, light. Yeah, well, they're supposed to be set at night, but you can tell that they were shot during the day because you can see the light coming through the leaves of the trees and hitting the, the forest floor. But they, they just color graded the entire thing blue to yeah. make it look like night. I was like, I don't know, because that was a way to get around shooting at night, I think. Yeah, and I I did think that was pretty noticeable. Like, I'm not, you know, a big camera expert in any way, shape, or form. But Yeah, I'm not an expert either, but I'm around cameras every day at work. Yeah. So, and, but I noticed that. Yeah, so, I, I mean, you would notice more than me, but, like, I'm, you know... <laughs> even I noticed that, like, the forest scenes looked pretty weak in comparison to other parts of the movie. And definitely, you know, the exterior sunlight sometimes looked extremely bright. But... I think overall, though, it didn't hurt the movie in any way, and in some ways, I think it added to it in in kind of a unique way that you no- you normally wouldn't get to see if you're using a full-sized movie camera. Yeah, and I also want to point out that there's a part where she gets trapped in a trunk, and she actually pulls the cord in the trunk to release it, and I just, I think he deserves, Steven Soderbergh deserves an Oscar for making that happen. Because <laughs> I can tell you how many fucking movies there are where someone's trapped in a trunk, and you, you, everyone knows about that, right? Like, everyone knows about that cord that you can pull that just pops the trunk. But in movies, it's just like, no, that doesn't exist. <laughs> They're not going to pull it. So I, I think that's pretty cool. And, and it's not, that's a very minor spoiler. But, like, I just thought that was cool. That yeah. Was cool. And, and it definitely feels very grounded in reality throughout the entire movie where, you know, she, once you kind of find out the deeper plot of the facility that she's trapped in, Oh god, it's so smart. It's so believable. Yeah, right? you're like, like I was I was like in the theater, I was like, yes, like that's fucking sweet. Like, <laughs> that's a really cool plot. Yeah, that's completely something I could see actually happening. Maybe not to this extent where you'd mm-hmm. be trapped for that amount of time, but I could see someone going to some kind of facility for help. It, you know, whether it's depression or they have suicidal tendencies, suicidal thoughts, and then they can get themselves locked into something that they didn't expect to be. And that's pretty terrifying when you're a normal, sane person locked in an asylum with a bunch of crazy people. And I've read about that. I my favorite one of my favorite subreddits is the relationships one because it's, it's it's a it's a crazy place, you guys. <laughs> but um, people go to that because they say like I have to tell a story here that I don't want to tell to my therapist because I don't want to get committed involuntarily for 24 hours by accident. So it's just like that's a real thing. It's like holy shit. And when I read them, I was like, all right, whatever. But now I'm like, all right, whatever. Like, I get it. I get it. I get why you're coming here to talk to the psychos on Reddit relationships. <laughs> but God, yeah, it, I think the... It's just such a good movie. Yeah, plot was extremely well written, well acted. The hospital. The hospital. The hospital. Looks great. I, I It's, it's totally believable. I believe that that place is a hospital. No, it is. They couldn't change. They didn't have enough money. I read about this. I read a lot about it. Oh, I sent you this. They sent me yeah, the... for this movie like this ridiculously long press packet, and it's crazy. Like they they talked about the entire process of making this movie, and they couldn't. They didn't have enough money to change the hospital, so it's just it looks like the working hospital that it takes place in. Yeah, which actually, I think works. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> honestly, it's probably better that way. You don't have to make an unrealistic set. 
and you can just kind of set up and shoot and just have everyone take their marks and uh i mean it works it works really well for the movie i had a no issue believing any part of it i thought it was extremely well written well paced all the dialogue was great um I mean, really, I just had a great time with it. I thought it was one of the better psychological kind of thrillers I've seen in a long time. Yeah, and so the, th- the really cool thing about it is, so I shot my review for this movie with uh, my iPhone. I have an iPhone 10, but it's very similar to the 7 Plus. And at work, Moment set Austin, Evans, my boss, he sent us all, like, Moment lenses with, uh, like, the Samsung Galaxy S9 case. But I bought the case, the special case you need for my iPhone, and I shot my review with the same lenses and the app that this movie was shot with. Totally viable. It was a little more, I don't want to say challenging, it was a little more finicky than my camera is, but it was doable and the frustration point like was never bad. Like I got frustrated because I'm so used to shooting with my camera that shooting with my phone was kind of a pain in the ass, but like... Uh, it's totally viable. So if you're the kind of person who's like, man, I really want to make a movie, I really want to make a YouTube video, or just do it. Like you have the you have the tools, and you don't need to go out and buy three lenses. All you really need is the case, and you could buy the the 18 millimeter lens, the like standard one, and then you have your iPhone's lens, you have your iPhone's telephoto lens, and then you have that 18 millimeter lens. That's three lenses you have to work around with, like that, and that's more than enough to shoot an entire feature film. Obviously, you yeah. know. Yeah, this, and guy this, did is, it. this is obviously a testament to that because not only is it a film completely shot with that kind of, you know, ingenuity, but it's a really good movie that's shot with that kind of ingenuity. And this is my favorite movie I've seen this year. This like, is definitely in it's my, in so my good. like, if not my favorite movie in my top two of what I've seen this year so far, or new releases. Yeah, and like, I don't know, I've seen people praising it for the iPhone thing, but I also saw a couple articles that were like talking shit about it. And not highlighting Claire Foy's performance. Like, oh my god, this is like best actress level performance, in my opinion. Like, she she kills it. I mean, she'll get snubbed at the Oscars for it, but I think this is literally an Oscar-worthy performance. I think that, if not Oscar-worthy, at least just give her something. Because she should get commended for this, her portrayal in this movie. Because she is, I, I mean, like I said, you can't take your eyes off her. She's captivating constantly. And I saw I saw people criticizing her for like being a little violent and like out like uh, lashing out at the people working in this hospital. I'd be doing the exact same thing in this situation. I'd be fucking pissed because like she shouldn't be in there, you know? Like it's crazy. It's just I don't know. I think I think if there's such thing as a flawless performance, this is a great example of one. Yeah, I mean, if you were in that position where you're trapped somewhere against your will. You know, you're somewhere you don't want to be. You're constantly stressed because you're like, I'm, I'm in a prison with a bunch of insane people, and I don't want them anywhere near me. And they keep fucking with you. You're gonna be like, <laughs> you're gonna react in a way that might not be completely <laughs> logical. And it's to me, I mean, it made perfect sense. Yeah, totally. And uh, so the guy who wrote this, James Greer, this this guy deserves an award for this achievement because he's written a. Uh, Max Keeble's Big Move, <laughs> Larry the Cable Guy 2, and The Spy Next Door. And then he comes out with this one. It's, this movie is this movie feels like, I don't know, I don't have a better writer to compare him to off the top of my head, but this movie feels like a better writer wrote it. Yeah, so really a great job on him because 
he it really does not show at all. I would not expect that kind of uh, childish pedigree for him because this is extremely well written. I mean, one of the better written movies I've seen in the past few months. Definitely the best written movie I've seen this year. Yeah. It's fucking... I mean, we're in March, granted, but still. It, this one's going to be on top of my mind for a while. And I'm... I just think it's so cool as, like, someone who's trying to make films. Uh, I think it's really cool that they were able to shoot a movie that is this good on a fucking phone. Yeah. Like, that is awesome. Yeah, that is really something that's an impressive achievement, let alone to just film a whole movie, but that it's also a movie that's as good as it is, is kind of amazing. Yeah, and uh, speaking of making your own movies, before we wrap up the show, uh, I just want to point out that my short film that I made with my friend Graham, it's, we're called it In No Mean Clownus, uh, he directed it, I edited it, and shot it, and he wrote it. Um, we got accepted into the trauma movie Clownsploitation, so... That's pretty exciting. Yeah, that's really awesome to have yourself credited in a trauma movie. A trauma movie. Yeah, like Lloyd Kaufman's insane and he's going kind of senile, but <laughs> still, trauma. Trauma has a pretty good pedigree overall. Like they made Toxic Avenger, and uh, the guys Graham told me that the guys from The Void, uh, they made a movie called Father's Day, which centers on a serial killer called the Fuckman. That's pretty amazing. That's super trauma if I've ever heard anything that's trauma. <laughs> yeah, we, we want, it's on Amazon Prime if anyone wants to go see it. Uh, it's crazy. It, the, intro, the intro of the movie is nuts. It's like a guy dismembering a corpse and then having sex with the head. <laughs> it, it looks real. So, Friend, uh, Real family movie, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's Father's Day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> And speaking of Graham, he'll be on the show at some point. I want to have him on to talk about The Black Coat's Daughter, because he introduced me to that movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, he, I didn't like it the first time I saw it, and then he explained what was going on to me, and it totally changed my opinion of the movie. So I'm going to have him on uh, in a little bit. I don't know when. We'll have him on to talk about that movie, though. But he's a great dude. He he knows a lot about horror movies. So, uh, yeah. I think that's, uh, I think that's where we're going to call it. Uh. It's a pretty good episode. It went a little long. Hope you guys are on board with that. Uh, if you want to help us out, the biggest thing you can do is go over to iTunes, leave a five-star review. It helps out uh, get us onto the new and noteworthy section. And, you know, it makes our show show up more. Like when people subscribe to other shows, it makes our show show up in the people also subscribe to section. And then also go ahead and follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Fear Frequency. Uh, but, yeah, George, bring us home. Yeah, uh, as always, come back next week for more horror news and reviews, and you never know who might be listening. 